Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Man, I'm excited to get to preach the word with y'all today. It's um, encouraging to look out and see the faces of so many friends and family. And um, it's just been awesome to grow together in the Lord. And I pray that he grows us together today. Uh, It's, you know, we've been here for 11 years um, at Redeemer. And it takes a while to really build deep friendships. And so for those of you who are new here, let's encourage you, keep digging in. And um, friends will become like family over time and um, strangers will become like friends and, and it happens gradually. For me, uh, you know, I went to college at Carolina in Chapel Hill, go to our hills. And, um, and I started building these friendships with folks in college that have continued. Uh, maybe some of you have friends from high school or college that you keep up with, but it's difficult. Like it's really hard to get together. I remember asking my mom one day, why do you know, why are none of the people that are in your wedding photos ever in our house or in, in your life? Like they were your best friends or your bridesmaids. Like, why don't I ever see them? And she's like, people move, we grow apart. And that's going to happen with my college friends. And we try to get together. And yesterday, um, five of my college roommates and I got together um, for the first time in a long time and the first time ever with our families. And, uh, and so I was really excited. I was hosting it at our neighborhood pool and I was trying to like finish my sermon before they came and and so, like, I'm, I tell my 33-week pregnant with twin wife to sit down, and I tell our three kids to clean up um, in case, you know, it rains, because I saw the forecast that it might rain. I'd reserved a tent at the pool, was hoping we were going to be all good. But, but I told our kids, I'll buy you sunset slushies at Green Valley Pool if you will clean up the house while I finish up this sermon. And, uh, and we got to meet them up there at 3.30. So I'm going to come out at 3.15, and this better be done, all right? So um, I've, I've been working on the sermon, studying God's word, um, working on the sermon entitled The Gut Reaction of God. And, uh, and I walk out to a uh, less than satisfactory cleaning job. <laughs> and my kids got to experience the gut reaction of Drew, um, <laughs> which was a little different than the gut reaction of God. And um, I, uh, I maybe didn't handle myself appropriately, but I was a little stressed, you know, trying to get up to the pool and be the, the host for our friends. Some came from Pennsylvania, from Charlotte. And, uh, and so we get there, and sure enough, the bottom drops out. Anybody hear the thunder yesterday in the afternoon? It was crazy. You know, it was like our house, like, shook. Well, just in time, we run back to our house, and, you know, I can see in Natalie's eyes, she's not super excited about 25 people being at her house for five hours um, when she feels awful. And, uh, and yet, it's what our cards that we were dealt with, and we were thankful that we have a basement that kids can run around in and adults can hang out upstairs. And it worked out well, but I am... Um, I am just struck by how different my gut reaction was in preparing for this than when I looked at the scripture and I saw the gut reaction of Christ to these situations where we're going to be looking today. And I once read this quote that I'll put on the screen. It says, spiritual transformation is us growing into experiencing the same gut reactions as Jesus. You know, we can fake things and we're pretty good at behavior management, you know, and we we can control ourselves in a lot of ways, but the truth about us really is that knee jerk. You know, it's that first thing, that gut reaction that happens. And this is what I want. I want to grow to where my gut reaction when something happens is the same thing, the same response that Jesus has, as we see in scripture. And you can tell a lot about somebody by how they initially respond to something. And this morning, we're going to look at the greatest person to ever live, the person of Christ and his 
gut reactions in scripture. We're going to look at how he responds and how we respond. And we're going to ask, how can we grow to be people who naturally have gut reactions that are more like his? And we're going to look at this passage in Mark 6, 30 through 44. And it's a familiar passage. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels other than the resurrection. And it's probably an important one for us to revisit. It's the feeding of the 5,000. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open a Mark's account. That's what we're given in our lectionary today. Mark 6, 30 through 44. And if you have notes, I encourage you to take notes, to underline, to enter this time expectant that God is alive and that he wants to speak to you through his word. And so I'm just going to give you a moment of silence to just silently ask the Lord to speak to you and to take whatever little bit you brought in here today and multiply it like fishes and loaves and to speak to you through it. So just take a moment of silence and ask the Lord to meet you. Father, I give you my meager offerings and ask that you would multiply them. Lord, I transform us to be people who look more like you, not for our glory, but for yours. We know this is only a work that you can do. And we ask that you do it today and every day. Transform us, oh God. In the name of Jesus, amen. So uh, in Mark 6.30, the... The passage begins, and it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So our passage starts out with the apostles gathering around Jesus. Now, if you're new to Redeemer or the Anglican Church, a few moments ago when Jared and Ryan carried the the cross and the Bible out into the middle of the room, and everybody turned, you might have been a little startled, or you might still be wondering, like, why do we do this? I haven't ever done this before. Why do we carry the Bible into the middle of of the room? Why do we gather around Jesus in, in this way? And, and what it is, it's a, it's a physical reminder to us of the incarnation, that God himself put on skin and came into our midst, that he came in the middle of us. And so what we do every Sunday as a church is we do the same thing that the apostles were doing. We gather not around people, not around personalities. We have a lot of different preachers. We don't gather around trying to draw you to one of us as a pastor We don't try to gather around a building. We try to gather around a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And so the reading of the gospel is this physical representation that Jesus is alive and active, and he's present in his word, and he speaks to to us through it. And so we reorient ourselves, and we say, we're going to gather around you, Jesus. And something beautiful happens when we do that. When we turn to face his word, who else do we face? One another. We face one another. And as we fix our eyes on Christ, it actually brings us to this place of of unity. But for some of us, maybe all of us, that unity is maybe not our initial gut reaction when we turn and we look at the word. You know, we start seeing other people and you kind of like, huh. You know, I notice in me like, oh, I haven't seen them in a while. Hmm, I bet they're sinners. No, I'm just kidding. I don't really think about you. (laughs) But, But I do have some like, you know, like, unhealthy insecurities that come up in me when I look at other people and some unhealthy judgment. And I wish I didn't have that. I wish like my gut reaction was like blessing and, and thankfulness. And it is a lot of times, thank the Lord, because he's transforming me and he's given me that. But 
I want my gut reaction when I see someone to not be that, that condemnation. I want it to be the compassion of Christ. And, uh, and that's what we're going to look at what Jesus does right here. It says that day, as the disciples gathered around Jesus, um, he, he looked at them and, and he understood that their gut reactions were different than his. And so he's, he's helping to form them through his gut reaction. So verse 31, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Right before this, he saw that they are hungry and that they're exhausted. And he looks at them and his gut reaction isn't like, you need to get your act together. You need to do more. You need to work harder. His reaction is, come away with me. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. And if we want to know what God's gut reaction is, we look at Jesus. And over and over again in scriptures, Jesus shows us that his primary gut reaction when he looks at us is a strong desire to be with us. In John 21, Jesus invites his disciples, come have breakfast with me. Y'all, we have a God that wants to eat breakfast with us. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have a God who longs to be with us and to give us rest. In John 7, 37, Jesus stands up and it says, he cries out, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus knows that our drinks of choice never quench our thirst. And he knows that he is the only one who will. And here in Mark, Jesus says, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. If you're here this morning and you're brokenhearted and you are exhausted and you are hungry, then Jesus's invitation is the same for you as it was for them. Come be with me and get some rest. But the coming rest for the disciples wasn't what they anticipated. It wasn't a boat ride with pina coladas by the Sea of Galilee. You know, it, it, what Jesus wanted to give them was a deeper rest than vacation could give them. Ultimate rest isn't found in vacations. It's not found in distractions. It's found in a person. It's found in the person of Jesus. Jesus is our rest. And as we know him and as we abide in him, we experience that shalom, that peace, that true rest deep in us, that Everything the world tells us will give us rest cannot give us. It cannot keep its promise, but Christ actually can give us that rest in the midst of physical exhaustion, in the midst of whatever you are facing. In verse 32, they went away by themselves in this boat to a solitary place. I mean, can you imagine they were so tired? They'd been with all these people. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. They were probably at the end of the robe. Jesus had just lost his cousin, one of his closest friends, and now they were going away to be alone and to get some, get some rest. It says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. You know, one of the guys on the shore, shore starts shouting, there they are, they're over there. They're in the boat, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, and then he tries to get everybody to run and like chase these people. And can you imagine the disciples' gut reactions when they like see all these people running? You know, imagine it's how like LeBron James feels when he walks somewhere, you know, like everybody just like, he can't get a moment to himself. Like they were just like, please give me some time by myself. I mean, I get frustrated at the end of the day when I close the door to our hallway and our kids' bedrooms and we've tucked them in and they come out after bedtime. I'm like, this is my time right now. You need to go back there. You know, imagine how the disciples felt. But that wasn't Jesus' gut reaction. 
In Mark 6.34, we see his congregation. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Greek word that's used here for compassion is used 12 times in the Gospels, and it's one of the Gospels writer's favorite ways to describe the heart of God, and it's this Greek word splachna. And in the original language, splachna is used to describe like our guts, our intestines, our most inner parts of someone, the deepest place in a person. And what Mark is saying here is that when Jesus saw these people, he felt like he got punched in the gut. That was his gut reaction, is he felt a brokenness over these people. He loved them in this way that only he could. His heart was burst open and compassion poured out on them. Y'all, that's how God looks at you. And that's how he looks at me. You ever wonder what God thinks about you? When he looks at you, his gut reaction is compassion. Most nights I, I end our prayer time with our kids by praying the, the priestly blessing from number six over them. And I, you know, pray, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. What does it mean for God's face to shine upon someone? Have you ever walked into a room and, and seen somebody you hadn't seen in a while? You know, last night when I saw my college friends, you know, my, my face just lit up when I saw them. I was so excited to see them and, and some of their faces lit up when they saw me. You know, and, and that's what it means when, when God's face shines upon us, that our faces light up. You know, when God looks at you, his face lights up. It shines upon you with love and compassion. His gut reaction is not judgment and condemnation, but it is love and compassion. But on that day, the disciples' gut reactions were, were not that. They were a little different. In verse 35 and 36, it says this. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. They said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You know, after my college friends and families left last night, we cleaned up and then we just all fell on the couch. You know, we loved being with them, but after five hours, we were kind of waiting for that last person to leave. You know, we were, we were pretty exhausted and we were looking forward to some peace and quiet. And I imagine the disciples could relate. Hey, Jesus, we're tired. We're hungry. These people are hungry. Please just send them away so that they can go and we can be here quietly with you. And Jesus' answer and reaction to them likely startled them. In verse 37, he answered, you give them something to eat. I wonder what Jesus' expression on his face was when he said that. Yeah, I bet he was smiling. Like, you give them something to eat. And I bet like these guys were like, what? You are crazy. Like, I, I don't understand. And so they come up with this, you know, idea, this kind of response of like, all right, we're, we're, here's what we're going to do. Like, Jesus, you don't understand. This is crazy. Like, there's no way we can feed them. You know, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? They start arguing with him. Like, Jesus, your idea is not, is not a good idea. You ever argue with God? You know, Usually, usually we don't win, you know, like, and they're arguing back and they're saying, this would not make sense. It kind of would maybe be like a vestry meeting up there in the conference room on a Monday night. And, uh, 
and Alan saying, hey, uh, that Sunday after Labor Day, that big regathering, I want to I want to feed everybody, get a nice catered meal. That's going to be about 400 people, probably, you know, 200 kids, 200 adults. We probably need you know, $5 a person. It's gonna be like two grand. Can you all approve two grand for us to to go feed feed these people the, the Sunday after Labor Day? And, you know, in the vestry being like, hmm, I, I don't think that that's a wise use of our our hard-earned tithe money, Alan, you know, and then coming back to him and, and doing this. But the, here the disciples are like, there, there are way more than 400 people. And it's, it's, there's no way we can pay $5 a head. I mean, that's like $50,000 if we we're going to feed all these people. It's more than half a year's wages. This makes no logical sense. We cannot possibly do that. So Jesus brings them back to reality with one simple question in verse 38. He asks, well, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? You know, I, mean, I can imagine the gut reactions of, of Peter and the disciples nicknamed the Sons of Thunder um, when, they, when they heard this, you know, the more fiery guys of the group. How many loaves do we have? None. We have not eaten all day. Zilch, we are starving. There's no food here. Send the people away. You are crazy. You know, I can imagine them saying that to Jesus. Often, God invites us to join him and rest by working, but they did not understand that. They did not understand that this invitation, you go and give them something to eat, was actually an invitation to true rest. I want to put a picture on the screen of some of my heroes. Uh, about a month ago, we took 80, 80 folks from Redeemer up to Watermark's camp in Virginia to Camp Booyah, and we um, joined about 20 other churches, and, uh, and we sat in leader meetings with 65 adult leaders from all these churches. And we like sat on the floor of this gymnasium. And these are some of our youth leaders and adult, adult leaders who went, some went to camp, some are youth leaders at Redeemer. And I, um, I was just amazed by these adults who, who went to Camp Booyah a month ago. I mean, they, they slept very little on bunk beds in these tiny cabins that smelled like wet socks they showered in mobile trailers that had been set up with, with shower stalls. They, um, they got pelted by paintballs. I mean, it was, it was a hard deal, but they did it just so they could join in God's work. And I, I guarantee you that when those leaders came home, they did not feel physically rested. You know, I mean, I think I slept 14 hours straight that night. Cherie slept for the next week. Ben will tell you that, you know, it, but there is a big difference in physical rest. That's not true, by the way. She has eight kids, so she couldn't do that. Um, I add a kid every time I talk about how many they have. But there is a difference in physical rest and spiritual rest. You know, when we think of rest, our gut reaction is to think about Netflix or the beach. But those things don't always give us the rest that we truly need. But my guess is while these leaders were physically exhausted when they got home, that they were energized spiritually, that they experienced a deeper joy and rest than Netflix or the beach could ever give them. Now, we're not all called to sleep in wet sock smelling cabins at Cambodia, but let's look a little closer at the work that Jesus is inviting us into and his disciples into. He asked the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Did Jesus not know? I mean, he knows the number of hairs we have on our head. Did he not know how many loaves and fish they had? Of course he knew. So why is he asking? You know, he's not just trying to mess with them. Every word he says in scripture is for a reason. 
why did Jesus say, how many loaves do you have? I think it's so that they could remember, that they could know when they saw him do this miracle, that they can know where it began, that they can know how little they started with and how incredible Jesus' multiplication process is. Where is God reminding you how little you have? Where do you feel limited right now? Maybe it's your physical abilities. Maybe it's your time, your strength, your money, your resources. Maybe it's your passion. Write that down right now. Say, God, I feel like I do not have very much blank. And remember that starting place because God wants to blow your mind. He wants to show you how big he is and how he can multiply your meager offerings. Michelle, the reality is that our own provision is insufficient, that we do not have enough, that we cannot do this on our own. But the key is that we put our inadequate offerings in Christ's hands and we watch him do something with it that is incredible. You know, this, this is a story about what Jesus does, not a story about what the disciples do. Yes, he does it through them, but he is the bread of life. So the disciples, they go and they find a preschooler and they steal his lunchbox and they bring it back to Jesus. And Jesus multiplies these five loaves and two fish to feed thousands. Do you believe that God could do that? Do you believe he could do it then? Do you believe he could do that with you? Skip down to verse 42. It says they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000 plus women and children. He had fed 10,000 people probably with these fishes and loaves. But it says they didn't just get crumbs. They all ate and were full. They were satisfied. But do you think it's a coincidence that there were 12 basketfuls left over at the end? You think it's a coincidence that there were 12 disciples? Do you think the disciples could, could tell as they held that full basket that they were in the presence of God? That if he could take that lunchbox and feed all of these people and give them each a basket full left over, that he could do that with their lives that he can multiply their lives and their work, that they could do even more incredible things than they saw him doing. Jesus wants to give you a full basket to walk out of here with this morning. I had this idea of I was going to try to, you know, steal a bunch of offering baskets and hand them to y'all as you walked out, you know, just full of bread, but Alan in the vestry wouldn't approve that budget. Um, but I, I want you to know that God wants to give you that, that remaining basket this morning. And you to know that he can take whatever you have and he can multiply it. And he loves to do that. That is his gut reaction. He loves to bless us in that way. In verse 40 and 41, we find out the answer to our initial question. How does God transform our gut reactions to be more like his? 
It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Notice what's happening here. Jesus takes the meager offering and then he gives thanks for it. And then he breaks it and then he gives it away. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it. And he gives it away. If you want your gut reactions to look more like Jesus's, then this is our pattern that we live every day of our life with Christ. We are taken by Christ. We are blessed by Christ. We are broken by Christ. And we are given by Christ. And that is a a lot of times a painful process. When's the last time that you've been taken with Jesus. Maybe it was a long time ago for some of you. I encourage you, spend time in his word. Spend time with him, listening to him, and you will find true rest. He longs to show you his heart of splachna and compassion. And he longs to bless you. It's crazy to think that Jesus thanks the Father for us by name. Just as he held up those loaves and fish and thanked God, that he thanks God for you, that he knows your name, that he knows the number of hairs on your head. But then the process leads to brokenness. And that is often a hard process. It was a blessing last week to watch dozens of you come forward and kind of admit your brokenness. Like, I need some wisdom. I need some help. I need some prayer. I need some intercession. I don't think I've ever seen that many people be prayed for at church before. But I think after doing this kind of impromptu series on suffering that we've walked through the last month, that many of you have gotten to this place where you're like, Lord, I'm in that brokenness, and I need you in it. But you know what? God wants to use that brokenness in your life, and he wants to use it to bless others. God is going to do something amazing through the trials that you are facing. And he wants to use those trials to break you and to share you because bread cannot be shared unless it is broken. And Jesus' heart broke that day, like the bread, as he looked out over that hill of people. I don't know what those people were like that were on the hill, but if you look at the other people that Jesus hangs out with in scripture, I imagine it was full of liars, cheats, prostitutes, adulterers, thieves. And when he looked at them, his heart was filled with compassion. And that's what he looks at when he looks at this congregation. His eyes are full of compassion for us. His heart breaks. But it wasn't just on that hillside that day. It was also on the hill of Calvary. When Jesus, the bread of life, was broken for us so that we could be brought face-to-face with God. Jesus models this pattern for us of being taken and blessed and broken and given. And he invites us to join in that pattern and to allow the life of Christ to live through us every day. Y'all, I wish that I could have been there 2,000 years ago when Jesus fed 10,000 people. I imagine it would have been pretty, pretty amazing. But I I got a a little glimpse of that a few weeks ago at camp when when I got to watch God take our meager offerings. And these adults who felt like, man, I can't do this. I can't be a camp counselor. I'm 
60 years old. How how can I do this? I watched God take those meager offerings and multiply them and bless them. I watched gut reactions transform before my eyes. I listened as a high school girl told me that she came to camp on Sunday as an atheist and left on Friday. That's the daughter of God. We get to watch the miracle and the miracles of God every day. And so often we're so busy or distracted that we miss them. But he wants to do that miracle in your own life, in your own heart. He wants to take your broken bread and multiply it with others. And it leads to a life where we cannot help but give Christ away. We cannot help but share him. And it often, we, we start making these excuses of like, I, I, I can't. Like, we don't have to take it half a year's wages for me to do that. And God just asks you, what do you have? He says, I want to transform you. I want you to start experiencing this full life of me living in you. And what I ask of you is that you would bring to me your meager offerings and believe in me because he is the one that is doing the work. It is the work of God to believe in the one that he has sent. Church, let's put our trust and faith, not in our own efforts, not in trying harder, not in doing more, but allowing the life of Christ to live through our brokenness and to bless others. Amen.